We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is sponsored by Axios Sports. Be sure to visit sports.axios.com for a free daily newsletter delivered straight to your inbox. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's good, everyone? Welcome into another BuzzBeat episode. I am Richie, and on the pod today, I'll be joined by Spencer. Brian is actually at ACC Media Day, uh, so he's not going to be on this recording. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the first preseason game uh, with the Hornets against the Boston Celtics. In addition to that, we're going to be wrapping up our segment, the one stinging question with two more Hornets players. And just a reminder, we are a member of the Blue Wire Network, and you can find our episodes on the newly designed website, bluewirepods.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also your favorite podcasting app. Uh, before we get into the episode, Spencer, how's everything going on your end? Are you watching any uh, playoff baseball, or with the Red Sox out of it, are you not paying too much attention to it? Yeah, I, well, I watched a better part of... Um... I guess like the last three or four innings of the Braves game when I got home last night. So it was kind of a bummer. Looked like the Braves were going to end the series. Um, Then they let that one slip away. But, uh, yeah, outside of that, I mean, I really haven't haven't seen a ton. Um, Was surprised by that Tampa Bay result uh, yesterday. I I just kind of figured Houston was going to cruise to the championship. I mean, they're the most complete team, I would think, just from, like, keeping up with regular season baseball. But, uh I don't know if the Rays get one tonight. We got a series, but I, I'm, you know, I don't really care what happens from here. But I will pledge my allegiance to to Atlanta baseball since uh, I don't really have any other dog in the fight uh, from this <laughs> from this point forward. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, Hornets fans are probably also Braves fans, and yeah, it feels like that series has been interesting. When it, it almost could have been a, a sweep by the Braves, but now we're having to go five games, and you know, Freddie Freeman and and some of the better players, experienced players, are not stepping up. It's it's been mostly. Kind of Albies and Acuna leading the way, so um, I'm hoping the Braves make it to the uh, NLCS. But uh, who knows with them in the playoffs recently? They don't seem to get out of the first round. All right, let's get into the episode by starting off by doing our one stinging question segment. Let's start off with uh, Miles Bridges. I actually forgot that we haven't done him yet. He actually had a pretty solid rookie season with the Hornets, averaging seven and a half points, four rebounds, and shot the ball at a pretty decent clip from the floor. 
he definitely hit the proverbial rookie wall uh, halfway through the season last season, but finished the season on a high note. Uh, a lot of promising things towards the end of the season. I know this is a small sample size here, Spencer, but in the final 10 games of the season, he put up 11 points per game, grabbed five rebounds, and shot the ball 37% behind the arc. Uh, the question that I have for Bridges, and I can't take all the credit for this as one of the members in our Slack conversation, Fifth Factor, came up with this question. And I'm going to let you kind of lead this off. Do you think that Bridges can sustain his production level when he's surrounded by lesser pieces on the floor this season? Well, I mean, it's a good question. Um, and I think it pertains to a lot of the younger players on this team that we saw bright spots from last year, right? I mean, look, the one thing that's for certain is that Miles Bridges is going to have to, you know, he's going to have to carry a bigger load this season. He's going to play. Uh, a big role in this offense. His usage is going to go way up, you would imagine. You know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I really don't. I, I'm taking the wait-and-see approach, you know, with Miles. I, I, I'm optimistic that he will improve as a basketball player. I don't know if that will be – I don't know if that will bear out in the numbers. And I know mm-hmm. maybe that doesn't completely make sense. But, I mean, as we saw the other night, like the first preseason game with Miles, it's just with the ball in his hands – he doesn't have a plan very often. Like when he has to take more than two or three dribbles, uh, he, he's just a little out of control. You know, he's not, his skill set is not polished enough at this point to where he's going to be able to create offense unless it's a quick decision. And, you know, that's what, that's the luxury Miles had last year, which is the nature of this question is, you know, you know, they, they put him in ball screens. He'd make a short roll pass. You know, he, he'd attack a closeout, you know, create a dec- second defender and then dump it off to the dunker spot to somebody, you know, stuff like this, get on the offensive glass and create second chances. But, you know, this year he's going to have the opportunity to play with the ball in his hands a lot, probably going to be the pick and roll ball handler. Um, you know, he's probably going to be involved in, in the beginning of offensive sets where, you know, uh, what I would say is, uh, like choice A of an offensive set, he might be involved in a lot of that. Can he be efficient in that role? I would say probably not. But he he's gonna he's gonna learn how to play the game from a creator standpoint this season, and that's gonna come with a dip or uh, a regression in mm-hmm. the numbers, if you will. So I, I wouldn't overreact to if Miles Bridges' overall efficiency drops this season. I, I don't think that necessarily means he's becoming a worse basketball player, if that makes sense. Yes, it makes perfect sense in the sense that Bridges can become a better basketball player, make that jump in his sophomore season. And not that this is not a fair question, but because he's surrounded by players that are lesser uh, in talent, it may affect him on the court, and it probably will affect him on the court just to kind of give you guys a little heads up about the stats with and without Kimba last season. Uh, with Kimba on last season, this was over 2,000 possessions. The team scored, or with Kimba and Miles on the court, the team scored 1.14 points per possession and then gave up 1.15 points per possession. So pretty dead even there uh, when it comes to offense and defense. Uh, but with Kimba off the court and Miles Bridges on. So, you know, what we're going to see a lot of this season, clearly, uh, there's no point, or there's going to be no point in the season where he's going to be playing with Kimba on the court as his teammate. The team only scored 1.6 points per possession uh, and gave up 1.11 points per possession. So the, the defense saw a slight bump increase, but the offense saw more of a significant drop back. And I think we're going to see some of those same growing pains with this offense and Bridges playing without you know Kimba on the court, but by the same token, as as, as Spencer and I are saying, 
I think Miles Bridges can still improve and make that jump in his sophomore season, but you might not actually see that within his stats. And I think he's going to have to continue to shoot the ball from the corners that are at a really good rate like he did last season. And I think with the place where he probably needs to see one of the biggest improvements is shooting the ball on above the break threes. Uh, he just shot 30% yeah. on non-corner threes last season in his rookie year. Uh, and that's really not going to cut it this season, especially, I think inevitably, Spencer, he's going to be taking more above the break threes if he plans on playing the four a little bit more frequently and working in those pick and yeah. pop games. So uh, that's clearly yeah. a spot that he needs to improve. And then you also mentioned just kind of having a plan when he has the ball in his hands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you're right. He is going to take way more above the break threes this season just from a p- positional standpoint. You know, he'll be the ball reversal uh, center point and a lot of the offensive sets to get the offense moving. Um, the other thing I, I would watch with Miles is – how effective you know he barely got to the foul line at all last year i mean he made some really good plays at the rim had 70 dunks um you know tore up the offensive glass but how often can he get the basketball to the rim uh with a defender in front of him him having to uh you know use again two or three dribbles to get there and can he get to the foul line more often i mean that's a big data point that's a big sign for his growth as an offensive player so i'd watch that pretty carefully this season for miles yeah, and I think he's a player that probably thrives more off when the ball gets swung around the court a couple of times and, and him working against that defense that's shifting or that defense is scrambling where he's normally getting behind the defense on those baseline cuts or beating people off closeouts where there's not a lot of contact. So he has these open lanes to the rim. So that's probably why he didn't see a whole lot of uh, action at the free throw line. To answer the question, Spencer, can he sustain his production level? I think when you just look at the stats... No, but as a whole basketball player, I think Miles Bridges will improve even when he's surrounded by lesser pieces on the floor. Any other thoughts on Miles Bridges here? Well, a few things. The first one is, you know, staying on the offensive conversation with Miles. You know, I think this is a good test test case for James Borrego, too, because Miles, again, he's he's not a polished offensive player with a with a um, seasoned skill set uh, uh-huh. yet. So Borrego's going to have to get creative with where he places him on the floor. Is he the ball reversal guy where we let him attack from the top? Um, you know, do, do we get him in that free throw area? Do we, do we get him the ball in the short corner area and let him face up or even, you know, display some post game? It, it, Borrego will have to get creative. He's, you know, I, I liked what I saw on Sunday night from the Hornets and the ball movement and sharing the basketball and dribble drive kick. All that stuff's great, but that's very, you know, hey, we've been in training camp a week, uh, elementary kind of stuff when it comes to needing points from one of the best players on your team. And that same player is also not a very polished offensive player. Borrego's going to have to get creative. So I think this is this is just a good case study to watch him as an offensive coach and, and how he's able to use uh, Miles Bridges. And then the other thing, if Miles does nothing else this season to improve, I want to see him improve defensively, staying in front of the basketball as the primary defender, not as a help defender, you know, coming over, blocking shots, saving plays. We know he can do that stuff. Staying in front of the basketball, getting in a defensive stance, moving his feet, the very the small stuff, the beginner stuff, not something he did well last year. Uh, and I don't think something he did well very well at Michigan State either. So and that's an under the radar deficiency of his I, I think that nationally people just assume because he's a good athlete he's a good yeah. defender a good wing defender when he's not so that's what I'm really that's probably one a uh, of things I'm watching for Miles Burgess to improve in this season 
Yeah, he's going to have the opportunity to play a whole lot more this season. And, and Borrego, like you said, he's going to have the opportunity to kind of create this more up-tempo, free-flowing offense, and hopefully that will be very beneficial for, for Miles Bridges. All right, let's get to the next player, a player that you seem to keep forgetting is on this roster, Spencer. I think you mentioned that a couple episodes ago. <laughs> uh, the $17 million man, Bismack Biombo. Uh, I, I guess at this point in his career, we kind of know what type of player he is. A shot blocker on the defensive end, but really no real impact on the offensive side. Uh, we did see him get minutes last season when Cody Zeller went down. Could be a possibility again this year. You just never know with Cody Zeller. He actually played more total minutes than Frank Kaminsky. Uh, I think partly because Kaminsky didn't play a whole lot in the beginning of the season. And then when it came to you know minutes per game, he actually played more than, than uh, Hernan Gomez as well. So it, it just seems like... Clifford played him, and to a certain extent, Borrego played him as a way to kind of not mess up the bench rotation. So sometimes when Cody would go down, they would insert Biombo in as a way to kind of keep the bench rotation solid and consistent throughout. And I feel like we've seen this before, too, when maybe Batum went down, Bacon replaced him in the starting lineup instead of Lamb a couple of years ago, just to kind of keep that bench unit steady. So I'll keep this question simple for, for Biombo here. Is there any reason he sees the court at all this season or just, you know, a significant amount of time? Even if Cody goes down to injury, is there any reason he sees court time? Uh, I mean, less than he <laughs> than he saw last year, uh, you know, to your point of Brago really just trying to hold the rotations together. I think that's a good point. There's less incentive to do that with this group. Obviously, you can be as creative as you want. But like to answer your question, yeah, I think he's going to see minutes because I think there's a 0% chance that Cody Zeller plays, you know, even 70 games and at some point you have to just be able to match up with opposing bruising centers and uh and a lot of backup units in the NBA have those guys. And so Biz is the next guy up, you know. I, I don't know if that's in the starting role if Cody were to go down, or if that's in the backup role and, and Willie starts. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that it makes a, a huge difference either. But um, yeah, I think he's going to play, but not significant minutes. And uh, it, the one thing I'll say about Biz that that you like about him is that he's not a seventeen million dollar man who's going to, you know, uh, be a powder or going to be a distraction or you know some kind of bad influence on the rest of the locker room or the rest of the team, right? Like, if we're going to try to find a silver lining here, at least he's going to come in, he's going to work hard, he's going to do his job, he's going to be a good influence on younger guys, and uh, and he's in the last year of his deal. So that's good, too. <laughs> so, But, but no, I mean, yeah. I, I think he is I think he is going to see minutes this year just due to injuries. Um, but, again, I, I think your point's correct, and I really don't have much to add off of that. It's just Brago is going to have less incentive to hold rotations and minutes uh, minute allocation together this year. We're going to see some PJ Washington at five. We're going to see some, hopefully, some Michael Kidd Gilchrist at five. We might see lineups with Miles Bridges at five. Like the the options to be creative this season are endless. Yeah, I guess I probably should have rephrased this question. I mean, will he see court time this season? Sure. Uh, I guess the question probably should be: Does he deserve to see court time over some of those players that you just mentioned? I, I think. In my eyes, all the players that you mentioned, Biombo should not be getting minutes ahead of Hernan Gomez or even P.J. Washington at the backup five or Marvin Williams or MKG, whoever it may be. I think, I hate to say the least deserving of them all, but I just don't see a whole lot of benefit in him kind of being on the court. Uh, and, you know, he is on his last year of his deal. 
I feel like he's only delaying the development of some of our younger players like PJ Washington. And, you know, he's not even going to be on the team next season, Biombo, that is. So I guess my thing is, like, I don't think he should see court time this season. I think to answer the question, clearly he's going to. I think Cody Zeller, more often uh, than not, is going to get injured this season. He may not even see half the games, but uh, knock on wood, hopefully he does. I, I just don't see the benefit in what he brings to the kind of on court stuff maybe other than kind of that hustle and energy on the defensive end. And actually, I did an episode back in late July with Brian, and I was doing my minute allocations. And I actually slotted him in for, for zero minutes this year in the rotation. I know that's not going to happen. He's going to see court time. But uh, he's just someone I just don't see him fitting in with kind of the movement and the youth movement that Borrego and this organization is kind of going for here. So I guess if I rephrase that question, Spencer, to you, do you think – you could make a case for him to actually see court time, or do you think that he probably shouldn't be seeing a whole lot of time on the court? Well, I mean, look, no, there's no question he shouldn't be seeing time, <laughs> you know, on the court. But, uh, but like for instance, let's, I just thought of this example. Let's say like Orlando, like they're a big, rangy team, and they're also big at the center position, whether it be the, the their starting center or their backup center. Like, let's say Cody goes down and, you know, he's out for a month or whatever it is, and we got to play Orlando twice in that month. Uh-huh. is going to have to play like 25 minutes in those games, right? Because he's got to match up with Zusevich. Then you got Bamba coming in, um, you know, who's seven plus, plus feet, feet tall. So, like, it's just matchups like that. He'll be forced to play, you know, big minutes. Or, for instance, against Denver. Like, I don't think Borrego's going to roll Willie Hernan Gomez out there to, to guard, you know, you know who. So I, you know, I think that that Biz would have to go out there and try to bang with Jokic, uh, just because he's he's more well suited to do those things. And defensively, he he his physicality would take pressure off of other smaller players on the team. You know, like PJ Washington couldn't couldn't go up in that matchup. So, so it's like a two pronged answer. The answer to your question is you're correct. No, he shouldn't see minutes, but matchups will force Borrego's hand from time to time to spare other players, younger players, most of the time on the roster, uh, a matchup that they just can't handle by throwing Biz out there. It's almost like, um, you know, go out there and, and get us four fouls, buddy. You know, <laughs> like, go right. go get us that uh, just to save um, the energy and the physicality of some of these other guys who just aren't ready for that kind of bruising. Yeah, I, I guess I totally get that point in terms of the matchup situation. But Kylie, I mean, even on the offensive end, I just wonder if it kind of outweighs and, and kind of negates itself on that end. And you know, sometimes I wish Borrego would be setting the lineups and enforcing the hand of the other team and, and, and forcing the other team to kind of make some adjustments instead of, you know, us always kind of being reactionary on that end. Uh, any last thoughts on Biombo or should we get to the second half of this podcast? No, that, that's it. The last thing on Biombo is he is the he is the richest expiring contract that, that the Hornets have on the roster. So, you know, his skill set doesn't factor into this at all. But he is he's that trade fodder that you need to make to make a deal that that gets somebody you know out of the tax or gives another team some kind of salary relief and allows you to take a pretty big contract back we've talked about this a lot with marvin mkg and biz Uh but that's the last thing i say about biz is just that 17 million dollar number it's a big one you you can take back a pretty big uh crummy contract and get an asset on top of that uh with uh, biz as kind of the vessel to make that happen so it's something to keep an eye on Following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis just can't be done. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. 
Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up, and it's free at sports.axios.com. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free, curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try it for free at sports.axios.com. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years. And what's the secret to a great shave? It hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on deliver what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave, easy glide at a low price. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the basics. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just $2 per blade. Harry's is extremely convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule, with or without a subscription. And get this, there's no risk to you for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's free trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. All right, we're back from the break. Uh, We're going to talk about the preseason game one against the Boston Celtics. I was unable to watch this game in terms of its entirety, so I had to watch the extended highlights on, on YouTube here. Uh, I kind of uh, upset the fact that this is not televised, or at least not in the Charlotte area. Before we get into the actual game, uh, they came out with the starting lineup of uh, Terry Rozier, Dwayne Bacon, Batum, Bridges, and Cody Zeller. Uh, I listened to your podcast, Spencer, with Nate Duncan the other day, and I know that you had mentioned a, a different starting lineup on the podcast and had Marvin Williams starting. So I, I guess my question to you is kind of what is your reasoning behind that? Is that more of like a prediction or is that more of what you would like to see uh, for this team this season? Uh, I, I just thought it made more sense. Um, you know, I think that Marvin Williams, you know, fits a little bit better as a, as a starting player, but maybe the idea there is he's one of the better defenders on this team. And, you know, that's what he can really bring to that second unit. Um but yeah, I mean, I mean, I thought Batum would have been a more natural fit coming off the bench, just because, although he hasn't been very efficient at it, you know, the last few years, at least in it, the idea is, you know, that he can create some offense. He is a decent passer. Um, you know, he he can set the table on some level. Um, so maybe that's why I thought really he could help that second unit because. You know, outside of Devontae Graham, it's just going to be so void of offensive creation. Uh, but I'm sure Borrego is going to play with this starting lineup a little bit um, this preseason. I would be surprised if it's the same uh, every single game. Right. 
So, you know, my idea was just Batum, again, would be a better fit with a second unit over a guy like Marvin who, you know, what he does is, is pretty is pretty basic. Like, he plays really good defense. He'll guard the center in small ball lineups if he has to. He'll guard one of the best wing players. You know, I mean, he's the guy who's got to guard LeBron James, right, when, they, when they'll play LeBron's team. So I just thought he fit as a starter better. But I, I don't know. I, I think Brego's going to play with this. Yeah, I definitely think so, too. And I, I just... I guess mine was more of a prediction. I, I kind of predicted this starting lineup back when I did my minutes allocation. I think it's mostly because Borrego came out and said that Bridges is going to be playing the four this season a whole lot more. Clearly, he's going to be in some lineups where he's playing the three or maybe even a small ball five. So I just kind of slotted him in there for the, the, the four position. And I felt like Batum is a player that is definitely a two-way player. And, and Borrego keeps mentioning, you know, having a lot of those players in our rotation and he kind of fits the bill there. And I, and I do anticipate Borrego kind of trying to tinker with the starting five, whether that's in preseason or maybe throughout the course of, of the regular season. I think one thing I, I would like to look out for, uh, I'm not going to get my hopes up with this, but I would wonder if, if Malik Monk could find his way somehow into the starting lineup and maybe kind of push Batum, uh, you know, back to the bench role, like you said, may- maybe a better fit there. So maybe a starting lineup of uh, Terry Rozier, Malik Monk, Bacon, Bridges, and Zeller. I, I feel like that that lineup kind of terrifies me, and in both ways, in a good way and a bad way. But if Malik <laughs> Monk has any chance of kind of showcasing his skills this year, and, and he does so, I wonder if Borrego would even consider him kind of moving to the bench, or sorry, moving from the bench to the starting role or if they would prefer him kind of coming off the bench as a, as a microwave scorer. Any thoughts on, on you know, Monk kind of moving into the starting lineup, or yeah. he just really hasn't proven himself at this, at this point, right? Well, he hasn't. I mean, there's yeah, no question he hasn't proven himself. But, yeah, this is something that I brought on with uh, with an A2 on Dunked On. I, I think that's probably the most interesting, um, you know, lineups, mm-hmm. controversy, question, um, debate during training camp is Cam Malik Monk, and he's already behind the eight ball. Um, behind schedule because of the uh, the toe injuries had to miss the first game in Boston, but can he compete enough in training camp to push for that starting two guard spot? That lineup that you mentioned of uh, you know Rozier, Monk, Bacon, Bridges, and Zeller, wowie, would that be a bad defensive lineup? But um, but yeah, I, I mean, look, everybody's hoping from a lot from Monk. I, I, he seems like the kind of guy that would be the most natural fit coming off the bench. You know, just a microwave scorer. I think he's a pretty nice fit, <clears throat> fit with Devontae Graham, who's kind of a pass-first guy. I, I mean, I like that mm-hmm. fit a lot. But at the same time, you know, we didn't you – know, we drafted him where we did uh, a few you know, a few summers back because we thought he could be, you know, a, a franchise cornerstone kind of player. So, so if he does what he needs to in practice, if he impresses, impresses the coaching staff, if he stays healthy, um, then he deserves the chance, especially on this young roster, to start. I mean, there's no question about that. But, you know, like you, you look at Bacon, Batum, Bridges, you know, Marvin Williams, like going back real quick to the conversation we were just having about Marvin not starting. I, the other thing that I thought about the Bacon, Bridges, Marvin, like those three players, that's a really versatile, switchy threesome right there. You know, so like I understand mm-hmm. you want Bridges to play the four, but isn't that more like of an offensive 
in the reasoning there, more offensive and, and less defensive? Or I don't know. Maybe I would like yeah. like to ask Definitely. Rago that question. But I, I just thought that those three would fit together. It would make you better offensively and defensively. But Borrego obviously wants the wants the offensive creation, I guess, over the defense. So, <laughs> right. So let, let's get into uh, the first game of the preseason. Like I said, uh, I was not able to sit down and watch all forty eight minutes, but I did see some extended clips of this game. Boston won one hundred seven to one hundred six against our Hornets. PJ Washington led all Hornets with sixteen points. He was three uh, of four from deep. He also snagged seven rebounds. Uh, Terry Rozier had a pretty nice line of nine points. Nine assists, four rebounds, two steals, and zero turnovers. And then Miles Bridges, while he didn't have his best game, he still finished with a double-double with 12 points and 10 rebounds. So I think the best way to kind of discuss this game is maybe kind of to address individual players kind of one by one here. I want to start with P.J. Washington, our rookie. We have not seen him play you know, with this team at Summer League, so it was good to see him actually get some action on the court here. And I, I do kind of have to give you credit, Spencer, because you were not the first, but maybe one of the first uh, people in, in the Hornets uh, fan Twittersphere that kind of tabbed this guy as a player that would be a, a good fit for this team. And a lot of what you talked about over the course of the summer, he showed on the court uh, on Sunday night. His three-point shot looked really good Sunday night. And I think that was, again, his biggest revelation his sophomore year in Kentucky he did not hesitate. I think all of his shots from deep, or at least all of his makes from deep, were kind of of the no-dribble variety. He just let it fly. Got it, shot it, and it went in. He also was 3-for-3 three three within the paint. You know, one of those coming off an impressive pump fake from the corner, and he kind of beat his man, I think it was Shimmy Ojale, kind of beat his man all the way to the paint and, and made it there. So I, I think that's kind of like a good profile to have, someone that can take a shot from from deep, but also kind of use that to his advantage and, and pump fake and get all the way to the rim. So... You know, what are your thoughts on P.J. Washington in this game? I know that you probably maybe didn't watch the whole game either, but uh, a lot of good highlights from him. And, and again, i got to give you credit for kind of, you know, tabbing this guy early on in the draft process. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed. I mean, I liked him as a player, but certainly didn't expect that performance, you know, right. on Sunday night. But, look, I always thought he shot a real easy ball uh, in college. And I think it just snuck up on people, really, because he barely attempted – I mean, literally, like 15 threes uh, the season before last at Kentucky. And then last season, boom, he takes, you know, 75, 80 threes, whatever it was. So it kind of came out of nowhere. Kentucky still used him last season as more of like a bruising power four. They didn't really stretch him out all that often. He just, I think, voluntarily sought out more of those three ball attempts. So just watching a lot of film, I thought, man, this guy shoots a really easy ball. Why aren't more people talking about that? So he showed us that, you know, obviously on Sunday night in Boston. And, yeah, you brought up, you know, he can attack a closeout. He's not the most, you know, fluid or explosive athlete in the world, but he but he is powerful. He can get mm-hmm. to his spot. I mean, we saw him take two dribbles, move Simi, who's not a small guy himself, out of the yeah. way pretty simply and lay it right into the basket. Um, we saw him block a shot, come over from the weak side and make a difference there. Uh, and, yeah, he grabbed a few rebounds. So, look, he's he's a versatile player. He was a safe pick. He can guard at least three positions, I think, depending on how small the other lineup wants to go. I think he can guard some centers in this league. You know, and, and he can also play a few different spots offensively. I mean, he's not – I don't think P.J. Washington has all-star kind of upside, but I do think he has – Eight-year, nine-year, ten-year starter in this league. Mm-hmm. If he checks, you know, all the boxes. I mean, he he really is. 
he kind of reminds me of pa- Patrick Patterson. I brought this up with Nate too, and and I didn't. This didn't really didn't hit me until I had the draft process was over with. But you know, he's a little bit more athletic than Patterson. Can be a better shooter. You know, I think can can be that defensive kind of just stalwart, like a little bit like Marvin has morphed into into his career. You're right. You're just like guarding the bruising wing or the bruising forward on a night-to-night basis from the other team that could really score it. Like that's where I think P.J. Washington can find a niche defensively. But, I mean, we couldn't ask for a better performance than that first game. And you said it first before you posed the question to me, the lack of hesitation he had with yeah. letting those triples go was the most encouraging part. I, You know, if you watched him play in college, you knew he could shoot it, but for him to have that much confidence to release it that quickly was really impressive. Yeah, I think what also surprised me, I guess I didn't see enough of him playing at Kentucky, but I always viewed him as this guy that, uh, I think because I viewed him as this guy that was like a boring player that just kind of checked off a lot of boxes and wasn't really excelling in one, like his athleticism, like he's not like a, a freak athlete, but I felt like his athleticism kind of uh you know snuck up on me more than I thought it would I mean can you speak to that I mean how how good of an athlete do you think PJ Washington is because I, I thought he was kind of a below the rim type of player but he clearly got up for an alley-oop towards I think the end of the second quarter uh with Terry Rozier there and, and it kind of surprised me a little bit yeah I mean he's not like Brian said it real real good I think maybe a few episodes ago you know he's not a below the rim player but he's not an above the rim player you know he, he can he's both you know uh, the alley-oops a, a great example you know and that's the way the Hornets are going to use him a lot this year whether he's playing the four or the fives and those ball screens roll into the rim um, yeah I, you know I don't know I, I'm curious to see I think he's a good enough athlete that's how mm-hmm. I would describe it I think he's good enough I don't think he's, he's not explosive he's not maybe slightly above average but when he gets on an NBA weight program, you know, can the guy even shave a few pounds and unlock some athleticism? I, I'm just curious to see what else is there because when I when I did watch him at Kentucky last year and he did catch it outside the three-point line and he was able to attack a closeout or even give a jab and try to get to the rim, I was just surprised at the fluidity of his athleticism. And I brought that up to you guys this summer. I said, there's yep. some guard, there's some, there's some wing skills in here. I don't know exactly what I'm seeing or why I'm, it's just the fluidity of how he moves. So like, again, he's a good enough athlete. And so I'm curious to see, you know, what ceiling he can reach in that realm. And the other thing to watch with PJ and obviously Sunday night was very encouraging is no signs of uh, a foot injury, you know, hurting him or, or holding him back. I mean, he really looked 100% truly. And I had a, I had a few questions about that um, coming into the season. So, look, hats off to the Hornets athletic training staff holding him out of summer league, taking their time with him. We don't give them a lot of credit. I think we should here. P.J. looks good right now. Yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't say like I was blown away by his athleticism, but it just kind of snuck up on me a little bit. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but he also had – Seven rebounds uh, in 20 minutes of play. So that's also an encouraging stat. Uh, I want to talk about Cody Zeller real quick. I don't think he had like the greatest of games when you kind of look at the stat line. Uh, but I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on him and how maybe he'll be used a little bit differently this year. Uh, we saw him a lot last year, obviously, when he was paired with Kemba, you know, playing the pick and roll. Uh, but I think this year, I think that's obviously going to decrease 
and maybe the focus is going to be more on some off-ball actions or maybe Zeller handling the ball a little bit more. I think there were certain situations last year, like the Chicago action, where he would dribble it down to the corner and work that dribble handoff game. Uh, but I do think that Borrego will probably want him to handle the ball a little bit more than usual this season. I don't think he's going to be running as much pick and roll with Terry Rozier as he would have if Kimba had stayed. So I think that's something to kind of look out for. He has had some turnover issues in the past couple of seasons, but I think maybe you know this preseason and in practice he gets a little bit more comfortable handling Rock in, in the middle of the court and making passes off curls. He made a really good pass to to Bacon off a curl or backdoor cuts and you know just being that guy in the middle and you know maybe not necessarily getting so many screen assists, but maybe more assist you know in, in the passing variety. So I I just wonder you know any thoughts on him in terms of how his role might change within the offense or do you still see him as kind of like typically the same type of guy that we've seen in the past i, I mean i think you're dead on I, I think the coaching staff is going to challenge him to play above the arc more often this season and not in the form of being a screen setter as often as he was for Kimball walker um but catching the ball you know again above you know the top of the arc and running that the the you know dribble handoff game we saw a few times the other night one early in the game maybe in the first offensive possession of the game where he you know he takes one dribble towards the handoff of, of Rozier whoever's coming up to deliver it and then he spins and goes the other direction a little fake uh, and he's able to get to the rim that way not the most graceful finisher <laughs> in the league at that position but I think you're dead on I think the Hornets are going to ask him to play with the ball in his hands kind of quarterback from the top um, and, and help create offense this year. He's gonna have to. Like Rozier can't can't run a hundred ball screens a game. It's just it's not the kind of player he is. He's gonna be able to 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 relieve some pressure there. I think we saw that the other night with nine assists. And you know I thought him and Zeller had a pretty good synergy. You know in, in the pick and roll game when they were out there together. But yeah, I mean I wouldn't add much more of, uh, on top of what you said. I think that Zeller is going to have to quarterback some offense from the top of the arc this season with the pass. Yeah, I think the offense itself is, is going to change. And nothing against Kimba, but I felt like sometimes the, the rock pounded a little bit too much when we re relied on that pick and roll. And with this offense becoming, hopefully, a little bit more free-flowing, the ball's got to move side to side. And, and, and Cody Zeller and Terry Rozier are not going to be working that two-man game as frequently as we saw that with Kimba. Uh, speaking of Rozier, I, I thought he had a really good oh, debut. And, and, Go ahead. And one, one thing, yeah, one thing you just, you just uh, reminded me of something – it wasn't when Zeller was in the game, but actually when Hernan Gomez was in, he caught the ball at the top of the arc on some kind of ball reversal. I wish I could pull it up right now, but I'm going to try to remember it and describe it the right way. Caught <laughs> the ball at the top of the arc on some kind of ball reversal the other night, and almost like a, a top, uh, like like a Carolina back screen from the wing uh, kind of play where Devontae Graham came in, and it was literally with Hernan Gomez at the top. Devontae kind of made a kind of a side cut to where he was at the top of the arc, and they ran a 5-1 pick-and-roll. <laughs> and Hernan Gomez spun off of it. He came off the pick-and-roll. I think Cantor might have fought under it, so got back in front of Hernan Gomez, but he spun and finished at the rim. That was a true center point guard pick-and-roll with the center as the ball handler. So, you know, little folds like that, you know, I think that you, you'll, see, you'll see funky stuff like that from this offense this year that's just going to have to get real creative to manufacture points. So you reminded me of that when we were talking about Zeller there. 
Yeah, I got to go back and watch that. I'm not like picturing that play in my head right now, but I, I probably did see it within the, within the highlights. And but yeah, again, talking about Rozier, obviously a new Hornet this season. Uh, I know that Brian's probably the lowest on him out of out of the three of us, uh, but I thought he had a really solid game in terms of just kind of his overall impact on all parts of the court. I thought he was very active defensively. Had two deflections, two steals, and and six contested shots. And I think the biggest thing, he had nine assists and zero turnovers. And he's always been a low turnover guy. Like, that's always been one of his strengths. But just to kind of see that disparity there between the assists and the turnovers is always great to see. And I think you know, there was an article out today on Hornets.com uh, by Sam Purley talking about, you know, ball movement is definitely priority number one. With that, probably will come some extra turnovers. And the Hornets have always... I should say always, but you know, recently have led the league when it comes to limiting those turnovers. Uh, and it seems like Rozier is going to kind of fit right in there when terms of keeping the ball moving, but also limiting the turnovers. What, do, what were your thoughts on uh, Terry Rozier this game? I don't know if he necessarily blew me away offensively when it came to scoring the ball, but kind of passing the ball, getting those assists, and, and just kind of impacting the game in little bits everywhere on the court. Yeah, I, I just think Rozier knows how to make the simple play. I mean, you know, he's not... He didn't look like an all-star point guard out there by any stretch of the imagination. He doesn't have the defensive's head spinning, you know, de- defensive player's head spinning out out there. But he makes the easy play, he makes the simple read. Um, you know, he was bailed out a few times by Miles, and I think uh, PJ once, maybe maybe twice actually, on just tough made threes that led to those assists. But um, he he's not going to take chances that he doesn't need to take. It's always been in, in his DNA as a player. So um, we saw him probe, you know, in the lane a few times too, where he'd get the uh, the defender going over top of the ball screen on his back. He'd keep him there. You know, he had to dump off to Biz. Uh, with one of those plays, and then I think he kicked another one out for an open three. So, you know, he, he provides enough offensive creation to, to kind of get by, to get the offense by. But the ball's going to have to move so, so fast this year to, <laughs> to create consistent points uh, because, like I said, Rozier just, just gives you enough offense. Outside of that, where are you turning? You know, is it a, is it a Dwayne Bacon, you know, mid-range ISO um, game? You know, Miles Bridges, if he's not – catching an alley-oop or, or beating a closeout or taking an open three, really what can he do at this point? Cody Zeller's not a dumping into guy. So, you know, it'll be interesting with Rozier to just to just watch his offensive evolution throughout the season. I mean, what a great start with nine assists, zero turnovers. But, you know, that offensive load that he's going to have to carry, mm-hmm. you're going to imagine it's going to catch up to him and, and, and those turnover numbers and his efficiency numbers. But, but look, I, I I've said it all along. I'm taking a wait and see approach with him. I, I you know I do think he can surprise some people. I like his skill set. I didn't like his situation in Boston. The guy really believes in himself. Um, and I you know I've thought he's a smart basketball player since Louisville. You know that that was just my read on him um, since he was at Louisville. He was a, he was a key piece of that team, a good team. Uh, his last year there, and and I've liked him since. So. This is the first – he started 30 games, 30 games in his NBA career, Richie. So, you know, if he's able to stay healthy this year, we're going to know a lot more than we do to this point. That's really all I've said all along. Let's just – let's give the guy a chance, all right? Not many guys come in and do what he did in the playoffs two years ago and only, you know, almost – is a key contributor to a team that made it to the finals. But everybody seems to forget that. I know it's a small sample, but so is 30 games starting in his career, right? So Correct. I Correct. think yeah. I, I think what we saw from Rozier the other night was encouraging, and I think it proves that this guy does have the chops uh, to make something happen in a starting role. All right, last player I want to get to on this game. 
not necessarily anything that I haven't seen out of this player before, but Miles Bridges loved his shot profile in this game, uh, took three three pointers. And then I think the other five shots came at the rim. And one of those was on a fast break Eurostep dunk. Uh, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing with him in terms of what needs to improve besides again, above, above the break three, we kind of talked about this, but his handle still needs a, a ton of work. And we saw six turnovers, out of him uh, against the Boston Celtics. And I would say half of those came with him, you know, just dribbling the ball, whether it was a, a, t- a turnover in terms of a, a, a travel or a carry. He doesn't look fully comfortable with the ball in his hands. And we're going to see more of that this year with Bridges. I think there were some things that you can point to that were positive, but one of the things that needs to improve uh, is definitely the handle. It's got to tighten that up a little bit because six turnovers is, is not going to get it done on that end. So thoughts on Bridges, Spencer? Yeah, I mean, I look, I, I think you're I think you're right. He's got to improve his handle. It does need to get tighter. He needs a go-to move, you know, when he is attacking his defender one-on-one and, and trying to figure out a way to get around him. Uh, he's not going to be able to bull his way through. He can't always go left. You know, he, he needs a little, little quick, sharp uh, crossover or, you know, he's got the spin move that, that I think is probably well documented by the league now and people will be sitting on that shoulder waiting for it this year. So he does need another move. Um, but it's really just have a plan, right? Like if two dribbles is all you've got, if you can't get to that spin, then get rid of the ball, right? You know, come to a jump stop. Don't leave your feet with no plan. It's like it's the Malik Monk syndrome. And we saw it multiple times Sunday night with Bridges where he puts the ball on the floor, he gets cut off, and then he leaves his feet and almost does a pass without looking. You know, that, that I mean, that's that yeah. stuff. That, that's high school mistake kind of stuff, you know? And, and it's just <clears> – <throat> but it's – when you watch him play offense, he just it, – mentally it's not moving as quickly as it should be. I mean, it's, it's obvious by watching, you know, just watching his body flail around. And, you know, those were the turnovers that bothered me the most the other night is just – the inability to just control himself in traffic, pivot, and make a pass out, make the right play, get rid of the basketball. There's no reason to leave your feet and just, you know, a live ball turnover. It's just, it's inexcusable. Yeah. So, was, so those, yeah, those are the kinds of things that they really have to prove. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say the same thing. I think, you know, not that you can live with turnovers, but the ones of the dead ball variety uh, definitely come a little bit easier. But yeah, he definitely had several passes that were just, you know, bad and led to kind of fast break opportunities the opposite way. Uh, I guess the yeah. last thing I want to say, any any um any conspiracy theory on this uh MKG was not with the team here? Uh yeah, game? I don't yeah, <laughs> I I I don't I don't have a conspiracy there for you. I'm sorry. I'm going to let all the listeners down today. Um it's I would imagine it's not good. You know, I would imagine that whatever the discussion was with MKG and the team about his role this season, my guess would be it has something to do with that. You know, but he, we've He's been participating in practice and training camp, yeah. as far as as yeah. far as we know, and so it's weird that he wasn't there. But I, uh, yeah, I just don't. I don't think it's just a coincidence. I guess. So. Yeah, it's odd. It's definitely odd. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Buzzbeat. As always, we'd appreciate five star rating and review on Apple Podcast. I think currently we're at sixty three reviews. Want to get that closer up to seventy five or a hundred? So go ahead and take the time out of your day. It takes all but a minute to do it. Uh, We'd be very appreciative if you guys can do that. For Spencer, I am Richie. Go Hornets.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.